Welcome to Quick Hits, the only podcast that gets you smartenized. Today's episode, Remembering Free Speech. Do you remember free speech? I remember free speech. It was it was pretty cool. You could pretty much say what you wanted to without worrying about it too much. If you said something that was way, way out of line, then yes, there were consequences for it. But it wasn't the end of the world, the end of your career, the end of everything if you said or did the wrong thing or offended the wrong group back when i was a teenager and a young man we loved ethnic jokes boy we told all kinds of ethnic jokes mostly italian and polish boy aren't they dumb style jokes there were a few black jokes in there but most were italian and polish and all of that happened back and forth verbally there was no writing there was no documentation there was nothing there that would be immediately recallable forever and as we got older we outgrew the ethnic jokes and they became less fashionable and so we abandoned them mostly more or less and life went on just fine but now we find that free speech is under attack in a lot of different ways, by a lot of different entities. The most concerning of these, of course, are government entities. And technically, the word censorship really only applies if it's a government that's doing it, that's using force. But there really is no other word that describes what's going on when you have popular media organizations banning people because... Not that they're actually threatening anybody, but just because they don't like their ideas. So we're going to use the word censorship there as well, unless someone can supply us with a better synonym. I started taking notes for this uh, a couple of months ago, I guess. And the first thing in my notes is the guy in Scotland who is spending 13 months in prison because he did a YouTube video of a dog that he had trained to do a Nazi salute whenever he said, kill the Jews. Some people thought that was pretty funny. Some people thought it was crude and rude and tasteless. I certainly fall into the second camp. I think it's way out of line, and I think his punishment should be people telling him that it's way out of line. I think that's pretty much where it should begin and end, and then, of course, people can decide if they still want to associate with him or not. But he shouldn't be in prison for it. But he is. 13-month sentence for that. Germany, routinely, and not routinely, they've only got a couple of people in jail for this, but they don't like Holocaust deniers for obvious reasons, and they have been jailing them. Again, what they are saying, what these Holocaust deniers are saying is evil and stupid and ridiculous and wrong, but in a free country, they would have a right to express that idiot opinion without worrying about having to go to jail for it. 
The UK is arresting an average of nine people a day for Facebook comments. And again, these are not comments that say, I'm going to kill you. These are comments that are offensive to someone. Of course, here in the U.S., we have better protections. We have the First Amendment, the only amendment that the Supremes uphold regularly and consistently. And that kind of protects us from them, more or less, although if you do get nailed on some sort of a speech issue, you still have to spend probably all of your resources defending yourself. Right now, there is a bill in New York State, Benjamin Cardin and the illustrious Chuck Schumer put out a bill to make it a crime to support a boycott against Israel. And it comes with a $250,000 fine and up to 20 years in prison for saying, I don't like Israel, I'm going to boycott them or encouraging anybody to boycott them. Now, of course, that won't stand up in court. But the fact that they would even think to propose it is pretty insane. Jack Dorsey, president of Twitter, made, well, I guess it was a mistake. I wouldn't call it a mistake, but he went and had a chicken sandwich at Chick-fil-A, and this was filmed, and Twitter went nuts and screamed at him and yelled at him, and he foolishly apologized. Don't ever apologize to a social justice warrior. It just gives them fuel, convinces them again that they're right, as if they needed any more convincing, and sets them out to look at their next target. While discussing this, I found out something that should be common knowledge. It's a story that I had never heard before, documented by one of the primary people in the story on the Huffington Post. So there certainly is no conservative bias there. An activist named Shane Windemeyer, I think I pronounced that correctly, a gay atheist activist, was actively promoting boycotts against Chick-fil-A. Now, Chick-fil-A, the company, didn't do anything wrong, but it enriched the owner, and the owner gave about $8 million a year to various conservative causes, including some that were explicitly anti-gay. So Shane's sitting there one day, perhaps penning another article about why Chick-fil-A should be boycotted, and he gets a call from Dan Cathy, the owner of Chick-fil-A, who said, I want to talk to you about this boycott, about what's going on. And they talked for about an hour. And then they talked again. And then they talked some more. And they actually became friends. And as a result of these conversations, Dan Cathy said, I'm no longer going to donate any money to organizations that are actively anti-gay. He changed his mind and he changed his actions. And that's a good thing, right? Yeah. What more could you ask for, right? Here's somebody doing something that is wrong. And so you convince him that he's wrong. And he says, okay, I'm going to stop doing that. You would think that the reaction would be, hooray, we won. 
Uh-uh. Because all that happened back in 2013. And the left is still screaming to boycott Chick-fil-A. Not enough that they changed their mind. Not enough that they're not doing that anymore. Nope. They must be destroyed. And that is basically what it comes down to. When you look at the bake-a-cake situations, a $300,000 fine is designed to destroy a person, to destroy a small business. Wrong-thinking people should not be employed. When I first started taking notes about this, it was right around the time when Roseanne blew a $2.25 million contract. The show, Roseanne, was resurrected two decades later with all of the same actors that they had before. The same sets or rebuilt sets that looked the same. John Goodman, all these folks all came together to do the show and it was a huge success. 22 million viewers the first night. For some reason, Roseanne was in some sort of a battle with uh, an aide of Obama's, Valerie Jarrett, and she posted something along the lines, I don't have the exact uh, verbatim in front of me, but basically said that if uh, the Muslim Brotherhood and the Planet of the Apes had a baby, it would be Valerie Jarrett. And of course, you cannot ever, ever, use any reference to a monkey when you're dealing with black people. So, and Valerie Jarrett is black. So, that was the end. She got fired within an hour, a couple of hours, and all of the actors that she was performing with were also disgusted with her and had a fit. And They're now going to try and bring it back as the Connors this fall with the same people and no Roseanne, which may be good. Who knows? We have to wait and see. But imagine blowing $2.25 million for one joke. That's not even a good joke. It's a dumb joke. If it was a funny joke, well, at least you got a funny joke out of it, but it wasn't. It was stupid. $2.25 million is the going fine or fee, I guess, for not being able to keep your mouth shut. Next on the list, we have James Gunn, a writer and director who has been around for a while. He wrote and directed Guardians of the Galaxy 2, which was a very fun, silly action movie, and was also set to do Guardians of the Galaxy 3. But then somebody went through his Twitter feed and went back a decade and found a few bad jokes about kids having sex. And I don't want want to say they were pedophile things. They, They weren't. They were just stupid, bad jokes. But that was enough for Disney to cancel his contract. Sorry, you said something 10 years ago that was dumb and juvenile, that you've admitted is dumb and juvenile, and now you can't work for us anymore. Shortly after he was fired, the New York Times hired Sarah Zhang as part of their editorial board. Sarah has a 
very long history of absolutely horrific tweets. Using the hashtag cancel white people, here's just a few of them. Dumbass fucking white people marking up the internet with their opinions like dogs pissing on fire hydrants. It almost sounds poetic if it weren't so racist. Oh man, it's kind of sick how much joy I get out of being cruel to old white men. Are white people genetically predisposed to burn faster in the sun, thus logically being only fit to live underground like groveling goblins? And all of these had the hashtag cancel white people. She now sits on the editorial board of the New York Times. To prove a point, someone took a whole bunch of her tweets and replaced white people with black people or Jews and was almost immediately banned from Twitter or given a suspension, 24-hour suspension as if to prove the point. So there doesn't really seem to be a whole lot of consistency except that If you are racist toward white people, then that's okay. Then you can get a job with the once prestigious New York Times. Isn't that something to be proud of? And now we get to the biggest story of all of these. I don't know if it's the biggest story, but it is a big story. Alex Jones, within 12 hours, was banned from Apple They pulled his podcast. Pinterest closed his account. YouTube closed his account. Spotify removed his podcasts. Twitter did not remove his account, although recently they suspended it for a week for some unspecified reason. All of these places that cut Jones out of the most popular parts of the Internet did it all within about 12 hours of each other. It was a cascading effect. Now, for some reason, Apple removed his podcast from iTunes, but didn't remove his app from their app store. And that app has been downloaded on both Apple and Android platforms six million times since this started. So the man certainly does have an audience. He hasn't been completely cut out of the internet, which obviously is impossible. And of course, it feeds his paranoia. Look at this conspiracy against me. And hey, when you see that many major organizations move that quickly, it does pretty much seem like something was planned. Now, a couple caveats here, the standard ones. All of these platforms are all private companies. They can do whatever they want. I'm still going to call it censorship because there's really no other word for it. Again, even as, you know, technically only government censorship is really censorship. But they censored him. And they didn't censor him for anything specific. If he had said one particular horrible thing, then you could understand them all reacting in a chain reaction to it. But he didn't. It was just a general... Well, he does false information and we don't like him kind of thing. Now, standard disclaimer number two, 
Alex Jones sucks, both as a human being uh, and a broadcaster and in every other way that a person can suck. He subscribes to every conspiracy theory that's out there. He spreads misinformation like crazy. Once in a while, he'll get something in there that happens to be correct, but it's the stop clock syndrome. He is a horrible human being, but then when you stand up for the rights of speech, it only counts when you're standing up for horrible human beings. Because it's real easy to stand up for somebody that says, I like puppies and rainbows. That's not why we have a First Amendment. Yes, yes, again, the First Amendment doesn't apply here. The principles, though, of free speech and letting people talk and not cutting people out unless they're actively threatening someone, that's a principle that, well, we're all supposed to go by and that we expect our various platforms to go by. What they have shown rather quickly is that they simply can't be trusted, which means people are going to start seeking out other platforms. It'll take a while. It'll take a while because when something gets really big, it has momentum, and that momentum is, is hard to slow down. But just to put this in perspective, if this had happened 10 or 12 years ago, it would have happened on MySpace and Friendster and GeoCities and other places that people don't even remember anymore. Facebook and YouTube are top of the hill. But things move fast in the internet. And sooner or later, and sooner if they keep this up, people are going to start abandoning them and going to other places that are more friendly to different opinions. This, of course, could be a bad thing, too. You could have a situation where here's the conservative version of Facebook and here's the liberal version of Facebook and you just have echo chambers. Although a lot of people on Facebook and on other social media create their own echo chambers by banning and blocking anybody that they disagree with, which is fine. Let them do that. But if any of these organizations expect us to ever trust them again, they got to do some backpedaling. And they've got to say, even somebody as horrible and despicable as Alex Jones can be heard on our platforms. And that's it for this episode of the Quick Hits Podcast. If you've learned a little something, changed your mind, or even just understand a different point of view without necessarily agreeing with it, congratulations, you've been smartenized. I think I am officially now the most intermittent podcast on the internet. How long has it been? Months? Ugh. I've been involved with uh, things that are just sucking down all my time. I've been closing out my father-in-law's estate for the past six or eight months. That's finally coming to an end, but he was a archaeologist and historian, and he had research and artifacts, and plus all of the odds and ends of regular life piled up, uh, 60 years worth of stuff that we've been going through, all kind of mixed in, so you don't know if Oh, well, this was his correspondence with Nelson Rockefeller. We want to keep that. Uh, here he is uh, talking to somebody about having lunch with them when 
they met up last week. We don't need that one so much. But I've been doing that up in Lowville, New York. Had a interesting experience. His uh, his backyard was way overgrown. A lot of bamboo, a lot of brushes, little trees and things. So I went to rent a brush hog. It's a big monster thing that just chews these things up. It's a machine worth several thousand dollars, four or five grand. And I went to rent it and uh, went to the rental place. Guy operating out of his garage. It was 80 bucks. I wrote him an out-of-town check. I said, do you want to see my license? No, that's okay. And then he apologized that he didn't have a truck to deliver it to us. But uh, he would come and pick it up when I was done with it. All for $80. I gotta love small towns. <laughs> gotta love small towns. And that thing was fun, too. Just this big monster thing just chewed up bamboo and left nothing but powder underneath. So that was pretty cool. Somebody told me they went to rent one around here uh, near Albany, New York, where I live, and it was 200 bucks, which, frankly, was not unreasonable. But there are some advantages to small-town life. For those of you contributing on Patreon, it is at the point where I can now buy a nice cigar whenever I do this show, which is good. Thank you for that. If you are on Etsy, stop by Punchy Products. I do have some new things up there. It's mostly mugs uh, with funny stuff written on them. And some of them are even original. Some of them you, a lot of them you've seen before, but some of them are original. And especially some things for cigar smokers and the like. So, folks, that's it. There's nothing more for me to say except to remind you that the Quick Hits Podcast is a journal of one man's opinion and therefore should not be taken too seriously. Seriously.